Well, since some of us have no idea who the preacher is, I thought I'd step up and do my best. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> if you would, take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter uh, 20. And we're going to be reading from verses 38, or excuse me, 28 to 38 today. And while you're turning there, I want to remind you that this is the, the second part of a, uh, a passage uh, where Paul speaks uh, to the elders of Ephesus. And he had, he's on his way back to Jerusalem. He's finishing up his third and what will turn out to be final missionary journey, at least as recorded in Scripture. And um, he doesn't even stop at Ephesus for uh, several reasons, but he stops at a port south of Ephesus, and he calls the elders to meet him there. And he gives them this message. And last week we talked about the first part of it. And it was all the things that Paul reminded them about his ministry. How he worked hard and humbly among them and, and that great ministry he had. And, and this is part two uh, of the message because now he turns to these elders. And uh, you might recall that last week I mentioned some feel like there were even uh, uh, as many as 200 home churches in Ephesus uh, at this point. So rather than speaking to hundreds or possibly even thousands of believers in Ephesus, he called this group, which might have numbered in the tens or in the low hundreds, the, the elders of that city. And here they are, the spiritual leaders uh, of this major uh, city. Ephesus was a, one of the biggest cities at that point. Over a quarter million people lived there. And he calls them together. And by the way, um, this passage is interesting for another reason because it's really the only speech or sermon or message given in the book of Acts that was actually directed just towards believers. If you've noticed, all the other speeches that Luke has recorded, uh, they've been either evangelistic messages that were directed at unbelievers or they were defenses that were directed toward the authorities as Paul or Peter or different apostles were pulled in front of the courts, uh, he had to defend himself. So evangelism and defense are, are, the, are the main themes, the, the messages that you hear throughout this book. But this is actually a message for Christians, and it's really a message for Christian leaders. Um, but beyond that, really a message for all Christians because the Bible teaches us um, that we're to move on from the milk of the word to the meat of the word. We're to grow. Uh, the Bible tells us uh, he was when Paul was disappointed with a group of believers for their immaturity. He said, "By this time, you ought to be teachers. We all ought to. We got to get in there and we got to learn at the beginning. But at some point, we move from learning to now we're learning and we're teaching. We're helping others grow. Uh, even in the list of spiritual qualifications uh, for deacons and for elders, Paul mentions." He says, let them first be tested and then let them serve. In other words, every time you come across a, a group of qualifications or a group of, uh, of, of character qualities or actions of a Christian spiritual leader, it's not that we elect or appoint a leader and we say, now, you start doing all these things you haven't been doing before. No, 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 no. When we uh, appoint or elect spiritual leaders, we look out over the flock, over the congregation, and we say, who are the folks who are already living their lives with these standards? Who is it that is growing as a Christian and getting to this place where 
you know, we already see these character qualities. Let's go ahead and make it a formal thing. Let's go ahead and recognize that they're a leader among us. So these things that we're going to learn about today, they're really for all believers. They're the place we ought to be working toward. Now, if you would, take your Bible and uh, stand with me as we read Acts chapter 20, verses 28 to 38. Acts chapter 20, verses 28 to 38. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock. His church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. I know that false teachers, like vicious wolves, will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Remember the three years that I was with you. My constant watch and care over you night and day and my many tears for you. And now I entrust to God and the message of his grace. I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. I have never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who are with me. And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had finished speaking, he knelt and prayed with them. There they all cried as they embraced and kissed him goodbye. They were most sad of all because he had told them that they would never see him again. And then they escorted him down to the ship. Let us pray. Father God, as we hear this message from Paul uh, to the leaders of the Ephesian church, God, just as your spirit used that message uh, to strengthen uh, your people then and there, we ask that you would use it to strengthen us here today, that we might serve you more faithfully, that we might represent you uh, more fully, and God, that we might love you more completely. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So what are we to do if we're going to uh, take care of God's church, if we're going to be spiritual leaders, if we're going to leave that baby stage that is only concerned about me and Jesus, I love him, but to realize if I love Jesus, I should love others, and I should impact the world around me. What are we to do? As we can walk through these verses, we'll see what God tells us. He begins by saying, guard yourself and God's people. Uh, these are, this is military terminology. Guard yourself. Be ready. The idea is attack is coming. We can't live in a world of complacency where we say, oh, we're God's people. Nothing will ever happen wrong. We're going to be just fine no matter what. No, God is telling us, yeah, you'll be fine through me, but that doesn't mean you lay down, you go to sleep, you ignore, and, and, and you don't ever stand on watch. No, we have to be uh, on guard in this world because there are those who want to take down what God is doing. In any place, in any time, wherever God is moving, Satan's upset and he wants to move against it. He wants to work against it. So number one, you and I have to be on guard. 
What is it that, uh, that we have to do? We have to feed and shepherd God's flock. Feed and shepherd God's flock. Now, obviously, uh, he's using this analogy here. He's using symbolic language. Uh, we don't li- literally have a feeding trough for the church, do we? We, we, don't, we don't literally take a staff and, and herd the congregation around into groups. No, what, so what is feeding and shepherding God's flock? Well, it's feeding the flock God's word. And shepherding means helping to guide believers, helping to encourage believers in the right direction. And we're going to know, uh, see why we have to do that, why that's so important. But Paul goes ahead and interjects something that is really important for every single spiritual leader out there to understand. doesn't matter uh, if you're a pastor, if you're an elder, if you're a deacon, if you're a youth minister, a music minister, a children's minister, if you're a committee uh, chairman, if you're a leader that doesn't have a title or you have some other kind of title, it doesn't matter. All spiritual leaders need to get this. Listen to this right here. He says, His church purchased with His own blood. Folks, we can never forget this. Bersheba is not Tim Lee's church. It is not the Sessions church. Uh, It is not the founding family's church. It is God's church because our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ purchased. He bought us with his own blood. It is his church. And so everything that we do as spiritual leaders, whatever level of spiritual leader you are, formal or informal, title or not, you've got to remember this is God's church. I am I am an under-shepherd. I am caring. I'm a manager for something that owns to someone else. That is God in heaven. He owns this church. And all I'm doing is I'm managing and I'm making decisions. Does that make a difference? Absolutely. Because there's things that we would all do. If this was my church, then I'm going to run it my way, and this is the way I'm going to do it. But if it's God's church... Then whenever we make decisions, instead of just saying, well, this is what I want, this is my feelings, this is my wants, we have to say, what does God want? What is he trying to teach us? Where is he trying to lead us? What is he trying to show us? What, this is God's church, and so we need to lead in this way, that we honor him, remembering it's his church. So he goes on here. He says, the Holy Spirit has appointed you leaders. It's not happenstance that that you're a leader, if you're a leader. It's the Spirit of God been working in your life, helping you grow, helping you come to this place where you're a leader and you impact and encourage and strengthen others for the kingdom of God. Now, here's why it's so important that we not only feed the flock, that is, that we, that we build them up with messages of encouragement, words of encouragement from Scripture, but we guard. Listen to this. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you night and day, and my many tears for you. Paul says, Uh, I I would love to tell you goodbye, and I prophesy easy sailing for you from here on out. But that wouldn't be a true word. 
He said, the true word, the reality is that after I leave, I know for a fact that there are going to be false teachers that are going to come in and stir things up and start teaching things for their own gain, whether it be financial gain or just uh, power gain or just wanting to be selfish, whatever. There's going to be false teachers. And he says there's actually two sources. Uh, Number one, there'll be those coming from the outside, and they'll have big names and big credentials, and they'll have big claims about who they are and why you should listen to them. And they'll try to come in, and they'll try to stir things up, and they'll try to mess up what God is doing here. He said, but watch. That's not the only threat. If it was only a threat from the outside, that'd be bad enough. But he said, even some will rise up among you. So threats from False teaching can come from outsiders who claim to come outside from, with authority and, and pervert the word of God and change it up and mess it up. But also people within a church, they can get off on a, on a strange tangent and they can get off and, ooh, look at this special secret teaching I've found. And they can start trying to spread that and it can destroy God's flock. He says you've got to be on guard against false teachers outside and inside. But remember, he said, remember my three years with you. Night and day, I was with you. I shed tears for you. In other words, these false teachers, they're in it for something of their own gain. But a genuine spiritual leader like Paul, he was really out for the best of the people. He shed tears. He was emotionally involved, engaged. It mattered to him what happened to God's people. He really cared. See, false teachers won't really care about you. False teachers care about themselves, whether it's their pocketbook or whether it's their level of control or some other selfish motivation. False teachers will not truly care about you. So Paul says, you need to do that. You need to be on guard. So the first thing, all that comes down really into to one big point there is that we need to defend against false teachers. Next, you and I need to rely on God and His Word. If we're going to be spiritual leaders, we rely on God and His Word. Look at verse 32. And now I entrust you to God and the message of His grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those He is set apart for himself. This is really tough. Handing over and trusting something to the Lord. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you have a fix-it mentality when you see something wrong in someone else? You think, oh, if I could just get in there, I know exactly what they need. I could just fix them so quickly. If they would only listen to me, if they would only do just what I told them to do, everything would be all right. I think we're all tempted toward that direction just a little bit, you know. Uh, Some of us more than others. I see some of you giving glances or nudges to, to friends and family around you, but you know, we, we have that, uh, that thing kind of built into us. We want to fix people sometimes. And even spiritually, or maybe even especially spiritually, because we long for our friends and our loved ones to be on the right path, don't we? And so that makes it even more of a temptation. If I could only make you do what I'm telling you to do, then everything would be all right. But sometimes we've got to step back and say, you know what? 
I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm not God. And I'm going to trust God with you. And that is so hard with people that you really care about, especially when you know that, that they're not walking with the Lord or you can see potentially they might walk away from the Lord and you're, and you're like, that is a sacrifice. Right? That is a surrender to the Lord that you say, God, I, I'm trusting you that your power, your strength, your spirit, your word is going to be okay that I can't fix them or I can't hold on to them and protect them forever, but I trust you. And see, that's what Paul had to do right here. He'd been with them for three years. And even since those three years, he's kind of been back to visit on and off. And now he knows or he feels like he believes he's never going to see them again. And it's breaking his heart because he loved these people. And, and, and he, he wanted the best for them. And he felt like, as we often feel like, well, the best from them is going to be if I'm there to watch over them and take care of them. And, and he had to say, you know what, I'm trusting, though. I'm going where God wants me to go, so I'm going to trust and believe that God is going to watch over you as a people. That between God and his word, you're going to be all right. And folks, that's where we have to be. Again, as spiritual leaders, whether it's even what takes place on this property or in your home or in the community, when we want to lead and influence people to a closer walk with Jesus Christ, there, are, there comes a point where we just have to say, I trust God. God, you've got this. I'm not the Holy Spirit. You are. I'm not God. You are. So, God, you've got this. I've done and I've said what I can do. And if I do, and sometimes you get to a point where if you say another thing or you do another thing, it, it starts to be counterproductive. You, you've done what's right. And you say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to trust you with that person or that family or that group. And so we have to learn to give things over, people over, to God and his word. And then Paul talks and he tells us that we need to uh, develop, we need to cultivate a generous spirit within us. Cultivate a generous spirit. Look at verse 33 to 35. Paul says, I have never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who are with me. I've been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. How do we cultivate a generous spirit? Number one, don't, don't covet. I mean, that should be obvious, but sometimes we try to get over to this generous side before we've never, ever dealt with the first thing. Our heart, before you can ever become generous, you have to not become covetous. You need to make sure that you're not greedy, that you're not covetous, that you're not wanting other people's stuff, that you're not all about material things. Paul said, I've never coveted your stuff. Paul didn't come in there with an eye of, hmm, I think I can attract this many members, and then when they tithe, I can figure out this amount of money, and then maybe I can, I can do well here. Or, or maybe if I'm real nice, they'll give me some stuff. Paul wasn't about coveting and about other people's stuff. 
If you find it hard to give with a generous spirit, then there's a possibility that before you just say, God, make me generous, help me to be a cheerful giver, maybe go back and look, God, is there some greed going on in my life? Is there some things, some money, some stuff, maybe even something uh, that's not material, maybe the, a relationship or a position or something that I covet about someone else, and I'm wanting something of someone else's life. If you have that covetous spirit, you're desiring what others have rather than what God has given you. That is a roadblock to generous giving. Secondly, if we're going to be generous givers, we've got to work hard. And listen what he says, a, a, a descriptor. Of, it goes beyond what we'd expect. Work hard to provide for your needs. And we would say, okay, that makes sense. But Paul goes on, he says, and the needs of others. So when you explain to your children, when they say, why, Mommy, do you have to go to work? Or why, Daddy, do you have to go to work? And what is our normal explanation for our kids? Well, I go to work so that we can eat, so our family can eat, and we can have a roof over it. We've all had this conversation at some point in time. If you're a parent with younger kids, and you say, well, we got to provide for our family. But that conversation should be, so that we can provide for our family and so that we can look out for others who are in need. We don't just work, according to the Bible, just to meet our own needs. We work to meet our own needs and the needs of others. And that should be our mentality. It's not just about me. It's not even just about my wife or my children or my extended family. No, we work hard to bless not only ourselves, but others around us. Then we need to remember, if we want to be generous givers, we need to be reminded, uh, have a motivation about the blessings of generosity. If you have a, a uh, red-letter edition Bible, when you read that verse, it, it was probably in red, if you have a red-letter edition, where Jesus the words of the Lord Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, I'm going to bet most of us have heard those words before. But if I was to ask you, now, where exactly did Jesus say that? Was it Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? Um, does anybody know exactly where that is? Can you give me a, a reference for that? Well, I'm glad no one raised their hand, because you couldn't. It's actually not recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. This is a saying of Jesus, and we're also familiar with it. We would expect that it was in one of those Gospels, right? Do you know this is, this is where it's recorded? By Paul. And so, this shouldn't surprise us. When you get to the end of the book of John, John says, there were so many other things that Jesus did... If, if we were to record them all, all the books in the world wouldn't hold them. And we got to realize, yeah, I mean, there was no way you could record everything Jesus ever did and said. But here is a saying of Jesus, which God preserved through the words of the Apostle Paul and Luke as he recorded this message. The Lord Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. How many times have you experienced that reality? 
if you've ever given generously of your time, uh, of your money, of your talent, whatever it may be. And, and let's be honest, sometimes initially you're like, oh, so-and-so needs my help again, you know. <laughs> you, you may not start with the bright, generous spirit, but you're like, okay, I'm going to go and do it, you know. And you show up and you do whatever it is that they need. Sometimes they've something they've asked for, someone else has asked for, maybe, maybe something that, that, that you just know they need. And it's amazing how it happens when you do that. You come out and you're like, wow, why did I ever not think about doing this? I was so blessed by giving. I mean, I know that I was supposed to be giving them a blessing, but yet it was me that was blessed far beyond whatever I did for them or I gave to them. I'm the one that got it. That's that principle at work. Our selfish nature, we still fight the flesh. We have the old nature, that, that, old, that flesh that's still within us. Even though God's created us as a new creature, we still live with fleshly sinful desires. And the flesh says, don't give any, anybody anything that you don't have to because that may hurt you. That may weaken you. You need to hold on to all you get. But the Spirit of God tells us, that our Father owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and He owns the hills too. He owns all of this world. And He is more than able to abundantly supply all that we need, more than we could ever ask for. And so when we give, again, whether it's money or time or talent, sometimes just a listening ear, God says, I'm going to bless you. You'll be way more blessed by giving than you'd ever be by holding on and clinging on to what you've got. As a spiritual leader, as a spiritual leader in training, as a spiritual leader hopeful, as someone who's trying to grow and mature in Jesus Christ, wherever you are, the Bible tells us, look out for other Christians. Care for them, that they grow in their faith. But, on the other hand, remember that it's God's church, not your church. It's His people, not yours. And you have to trust Him and His Spirit and His Word. At some point, you realize you can't fix or change them. The Holy Spirit will change them and make them more like Jesus. You be there to love them, encourage them, teach them, give them advice when they need it, and so forth. And if you're going to do that, if you're really going to minister to people, it begins with a generous heart that you realize it's not about what you can get, it's about what you can give. And in one of those great paradoxes of God's kingdom, as you give, as you focus on giving and on other people, God says, I'll bless you more than you'd ever be blessed if you are out with a greedy or covetous spirit trying to bless yourself. I'll outdo anything you could imagine if you live that way. If you only understand, it's more blessed to give than receive. Pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, you desire for every single man, woman, boy, and girl to come to you in faith. And Lord, when every person 
God, when each person crosses that line of faith and becomes a believer, you don't plan for them, you don't hope or desire for them, God, to to stay baby Christians, to stay immature. God, you desire for them to grow. And that growth involves a relationship with you strengthening and deepening, but it also involves, as their uh, faith in you grows, that their relationships with others grow, especially with other believers. And God, you're calling on us to not live out our life by ourselves, but to remember that we are a part of a community of faith. We need to watch out for our brothers and sisters in Christ, to help them grow, to protect them from false teachers who would, who would get away from your word or who would twist your word just as Satan tried to twist your word there as he tempted Jesus. Father God, help us to trust you with other people. Sometimes we stress out so much. We're we're acting like we're God. We're acting like we're you. But God, we don't have things in control, but you do. Help us to trust and help us to give and to serve out of a heart of generosity. Father, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.